à la joyeuse messe noire. Not that I like it, but one does feel so much better after it. Oh, thank you, Mère Yvonne. Yes, just a little drop more. So the old crones fell to drinking their hot brandy and water, although of course they only took it medicinally as a remedy for their rheumatics, all seated round the big fire, and Mère Pankel continued her story. Oh yes, then, when they get to the top of the hill, there is an altar with six candles, quite black, and a sort of something in between, that nobody sees quite clearly, and the old black ram with a man's face and long horns begins to say mass, in a sort of gibberish nobody understands, and two black strange things like monkeys glide about with the book and the cruets, and there's music too, such music... There are things, the top half like black cats and the bottom part like men, only their legs are all covered with close black hair and they play on the bagpipes and when they come to the elevation, then... Amid the old crones there was lying on the hearth rug before the fire a boy whose large lovely eyes dilated and whose limbs quivered in the very ecstasy of terror. Man, do I know the feeling. Hmm. Every time I read about the American presidential election. Yeah, <laughs> it makes your limbs quiver in an ecstasy of terror. It sure does. Hey, if there was an old black ram with a man's face running, he might get my vote at this point. <laughs> he might uh, make my large, lovely eyes dilate. <laughs> Seriously, folks, that is the opening of The Other Side by Count Eric Stanislaus Stenbach. This story is about some werewolfing, because it's Werewolf History Month on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Arroo! We are here at hppodcraft.com. Who was that we heard at the top reading? It's our man, the man, Greg Johnson. He's reading for us once again. And did I mention Greg and I have made another video? You have mentioned it, but you want to mention it again? I'm going to mention it again. From Beyond the Beyond. It is a comedic parody of H.P. Lovecraft's From Beyond, starring myself and Greg Johnson. Mm-hmm. Music by Reaper Clark. It is pretty funny. It's hilarious, and it's on the YouTubes, and you can watch it at your leisure again and again. So I want to talk about Count Stenbach. Yes. This guy was very interesting. Do you ever think he was like, hey, seriously, guys, call me Count Eric. <laughs> I'm your buddy. <laughs> no, I've never heard of the author before. At least I don't think I have. His biography is pretty pretty nuts. Yeah. Well, he was born in 1860 to the Count of Estonia. I don't. Well, I don't think he was the Count of Estonia, because that's like a whole country. I think he was... A Count in Estonia. He was an Estonian Count. He Well, he was a Count, actually, I think, in Bogusund, which is in Sweden. But he, they also had an estate in Estonia, right across the Baltic from there. Because it's one of those old aristocratic families that had roots in Sweden, also in Russia and Estonia. So territory here, a Countship there... A big aristocratic deal. Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) His dad died when he was really young. His maternal grandfather took over, raised him for a while, but then he died really young as well. So Eric had this trust fund set up for him, which had his father's money and his maternal grandfather's money. Right. And then he went off to school in Oxford, but he never graduated. Supposedly, he was in quite a few relationships with men while he was there. Mm -hmm. Once he got away from home, he was able to kind of find himself. He tried some stuff out in college. He also tried religions. Right. So he was like into trying all these different religions. He did one a week for a while and then he finally settled on a Roman Catholic kind of thing with a bunch of other stuff like Buddhism thrown in. Right. He was born Lutheran. Later, he did convert to Catholicism, but it's said that he eventually evolved a religion of his own compounded of Buddhism, Catholicism, and idolatry. He had his own game going on. It's a little like the protagonist of Life of Pi, if you've ever read that book. But religion definitely seemed to be an obsession with the Count, and we we see it in in this story we're going to read today. Finally, when he was 25, Count Magnus, that's his dad's dad. It's really Count Magnus? Magnus? 
Yeah. Count Magnus is the character in the that vampire story we read by M.R. James. Oh, right. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, that's what, why it surprised me. He died, and then that made him the heir to the Countdom? Mm-hmm. Is that what it's called? Your Count, uh, Countacular, I think, at that point. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So he went back to Estonia or wherever the heck it is that he went. Well, he um, went to the estate in Estonia to manage it, but not for so very long. So he did go to Estonia. Yeah, they have they have an estate in Estonia, but his countship is, is from a place in Sweden. So... <laughs> He was only there for a year and a half and decided he didn't like it because he couldn't get enough drugs and alcohol, I guess, there because that's what he did when he went to England. And he got a lot of drugs and alcohol in a bad way. He was into the opium and into the booze. He was very eccentric as as well. W.B. Yeats called him a scholar, connoisseur, drunkard, poet, pervert, most charming of men. Wiki says that he kept snakes, lizards, salamanders, and toads in his room Mm -hmm. and had a zoo in his garden containing a reindeer, a fox, and a bear. When he traveled, he invariably brought with him a dog, a monkey, and a life-sized doll. Where are you getting this information from? This is on Wikipedia, dude. Really? Yes. The doll he referred to as Le Petit Comte, the little count. Yeah, Le Petit Comte. Yeah, the little count, and told everyone that it was his son. He insisted that it be brought with him daily, and <laughs> when it was in his absence, he asked about its health. Uh, supposedly, Stenbach's family believed an unscrupulous Jesuit had been given a large sum of money by the Count to educate his doll. So that is so much more interesting to me than the actual story we're going to cover today. Yes. I yes, wish it that it was all of... What's he doing carrying this doll around? He must have just been screwing with people. I mean, do you think he was crazy and really thought it was an animated doll? I I have no idea. How would I know? I'd like to think that he... Well, we're speculating here. Okay, sure. Yeah, he did think that. Okay. <laughs> See, I think he was just putting everybody on. I'm also skeptical about the bear in the garden. <laughs> That seems, I mean, Victorian area people, they might not have seen a bear ever. So it could just be one of his buddies living out there. He says, yeah, that's a bear. That's a bear. (laughs) How do you have a bear in the garden, especially with a fox and a reindeer? Wouldn't they fight? Well, maybe he's just chained up in a different place or it's one of those smaller breeds of bears. Well, you know, there's some bears that aren't aren't too big. Like a koala bear? I wasn't thinking quite that small, but sure. Yeah. Or a gummy bear. (laughs) (laughs) I like your theory better. That was just somebody of his that was out there. It's just his friend who was sleeping in the garden. He was like, that's my bear. You guys have never seen a bear, right? Yep, that's a bear. That's a bear. There you go. During his life, he wrote a number of books of verse and a collection of short stories. He was well known by his contemporaries. Yeah. The collections were well regarded, but they just didn't have much staying power and kind of faded away. He died when he was 35, heavily into drugs and alcohol. He got into an argument with his stepfather, then started swinging a fire poker around and then slipped. Whoa. And, and smashed his head on the fireplace. Killed him. Wow. Not a great way to go. <laughs> no. Now about this story, the other side, it is subtitled A Breton Legend. Breton, or as it's more commonly known as Brittany, mm-hmm. is part of what is now Western France. Right. I think Breton is the language that was spoken in that region yes. at one point. Right? Yeah, yeah. The story is supposedly an old legend. To me, it seems like it because it's pretty nutty. It's really nutty. And I got to admit, I was not a fan. No. In general. There's some neat stuff in it, though. And it opens pretty good. That short French phrase that Greg read at the beginning that introduces the story means to the joyous black mass and then we've got some good old groans talking about an actual black mass right there at the top anton levey wishes he had black masses like this yeah (laughs) freaking a goat with a man's face some of the imagery in there is crazy and i've seen lots of imaginative depictions of black masses we've got the the black ram with the guy's face okay i think i've seen things like that before yeah monkeys running around with books and cruets okay but then we have things, the top half like black cats and the bottom part like men, and they're playing bagpipes. 
<laughs> so this is something I've never seen before. Well, of course you're going to have bagpipes at a black mass. I mean, well, what, what other <laughs> musical instrument would you be playing? <laughs> if they had cat legs and a human torso, then it would be easier to play the bagpipes. But I know. If the top half of the body's a all kitten-like, then how is the, they don't really have lips. the cat arms like wrapping around? Yeah, they don't have fingers, so they must be supernaturally playing the bagpipes. Wow. Or the, maybe the bagpipes are supernatural and they're totally mundane. <laughs> right. Or there's a company that just custom makes bagpipes that cats can use. <laughs> and, uh, you know, their business has really gone south now that black masses <laughs> happen mostly online. Uh, there are these old ladies telling scary stories, mm-hmm. and this kid Gabriel is listening in. He interrupts, wanting to know if these stories are true. And, and one old woman says, yeah, of course they're true. Of course they're true. As she speaks, he notices that she's got a little bit of a pointed tooth, mm-hmm. and he just openly asks her if she's a witch. And then she's like, what? I am offended at that accusation, sir. And she's about to lay into him. They all stop because they hear the sound of a wolf howling in the distance and they just kind of sit and listen and are pretty scared and that knocks us out of story time so we actually get a description of where these people are physically there's this village in the forest and on one side of the village is a brook a little thing you can easily step over it the village side is pretty normal forest village kind of thing Mm -hmm. but the other side is creepy forest and not just creepy but monster infested werewolves wolfmen men wolves (laughs) and those guys that turn into wolves nine days a year yeah they don't have names do they niners yeah maybe niners a little bit wolfy (laughs) i'm not sure these wolf types never cross the brook it's confusing to me so what are the difference between werewolves wolfmen and men wolves because all three are listed i think werewolves are men that turn into wolves they turn entirely into wolves yeah i think so wolfmen are men with the heads of wolves and i don't think they turn i think you're just stuck that way okay And men wolves are, and these are the creepiest ones to me, wolves with men's faces. Okay. Gotcha. So that's how it breaks down. I think. Yeah, I think that that sounds pretty good because you do see both of those types of creatures in this story. Yeah. Okay. Well, spring comes, you know, when they were gathered around telling those scary stories, presumably it was winter. Now that spring has come, I have to say this sentence made me laugh. It says, it was spring now. And the old crones sat no longer by the fire, but before their cottages, sunning themselves. And everyone felt so happy that they ceased to tell stories of the other side. And of course, the image in my head of these old crones is that they look like, you know, like the old witch from EC Comics. Yeah. But the sun's out, so they've thrown off the gunny sacks they wear, slipped on the bikinis, (laughs) and they're out laying in the sun, you know, putting down a base tan. Ferris Bueller runs through the lawn, and then he stops to say hello. You know those fold-out three-way reflectors? Yeah, exactly. That's what I pictured them underneath their chins. Yeah. So Gabe is fascinated by the other side. He doesn't cross over. He just likes looking there and thinking about it. He's always been sort of a weird kid. Very sweet, a little overly sensitive, and kids made fun of him for it. They say he's not like the other kids. And wonder how his mom could have produced a a dreamy kid like this. But this one girl, Carmel, loved him. Yes. And he was also chummy with Abbe Felician, the abbot of the church. He likes his religion. So he's got Carmel and he's got the the abbot. Day turns into night and Gabe keeps staring over to the other side. The moon rises. It's full moon. As the light shines down, he notices that there's a deep blue flower And it smells amazing. And it's just on the other side of the brook, Mm -hmm. you know, just right over there. And he thinks, I could just step right over that brook and pick it, really. So he just steps right over. And when he does, he sees that there are more blue flowers over there. And they're bigger and they're better than the one that's right by him. So he walks in a little bit further and gets deeper into the other side. He can't make up his mind which one to pick. As he walks around in the moonlight looking at blue flowers, the place is just magically awesome, amazingly beautiful. It's got some lovely unseen birds that are singing a delightful little tune. 
But on a sudden, a black cloud covered the moon entirely, and all was black, utter darkness. And through the darkness he heard wolves howling and shrieking in the hideous ardour of the chase. And there passed before him a horrible procession of wolves, black wolves with red, fiery eyes. And with them men that had the heads of wolves, and wolves that had the heads of men. And above them flew owls, black owls with red, fiery eyes, and bats, and long serpentine black things. And last of all, seated on an enormous black ram with hideous human face, the wolf-keeper, on whose face was eternal shadow. But they continued their horrid chase, and passed him by. And when they had passed, the moon shone out more beautiful than ever, and the strange nightingale sang again, and the strange intense blue flowers were in long reaches in front, to the right and to the left. But one thing was there which had not been before. Among the deep blue flowers walked one with long, gleaming golden hair, and she turned once round, and her eyes were of the same colour as the strange blue flowers, and she walked on, and Gabriel could not choose but follow. But when a cloud passed over the moon, he saw no beautiful woman but a wolf. So, in utter terror, he turned and fled, plucking one of the strange blue flowers on the way, and leapt again over the brook, and ran home. So in the moonlight, looks like a woman with some hypnotic powers, but when the moon ain't there, it's just a wolf, no hu- no hypnotic powers. Yeah. He's able to get away. Gabriel runs home, though he's a bit freaked out, is excited about his blue flower. <laughs> I'm surprised he's not more freaked out because he did witness a monster parade while he was over there. Yeah. Let's not forget that. That was a no. parade of insane monsters. But this blue flower is awesome. Mm-hmm. So awesome that when he gets home, he shows it to his mom and she looks shocked and says, where did you get the witch flower? And she snatches it out of his hand and throws it across the room. And the smell and the color fade and it turns all black and withered like it was burned. And that night he doesn't get any supper and he just goes straight to bed. That's the only relatable thing in the story is, you know, bringing something home and having your parents throw it away. <laughs> Look, mom, I found this deflated balloon in the street. No, no, no. Put that down. <laughs> Put that in the garbage. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no, no. I have small children and they do find things uh-huh. fortunately they haven't found that no deflated balloons yet no no d- long deflated balloons <laughs> no later in the night he slips downstairs and he gets the flower and when he picks it up it comes to life again and then he falls asleep in his dream he hears the singing underneath his bedroom window and it's a strange language that he doesn't understand but he can make out his own name in the dream the next morning gabe wakes up goes to church during the big prayer he faints right the the priest begins mass with the latin for I will go into the altar of God. And the proper response would be, to God who giveth joy to my youth. But Gabriel says in Latin, who fruitlessly gave joy to my youth. And the priest is like, that's a strange response. And that's exactly when Gabriel faints. I don't understand the subtlety there really. And for a reader to understand that that even transpired, they would have to be both Catholic and understand how mass works. And they would also have to understand the Latin that was spoken. But I think the idea is that the boy has been tainted somehow by that crossover to the other side. Church ain't working on him anymore. They take him home and the priest asks if there's any strange things that have been going on. And he says, oh, no, no, nothing strange. I haven't done anything weird. Right. That's the first time he's ever lied to the priest. Later that afternoon, that girl that's sweet on him, uh, Carmel, comes and gets him out of his house for a walk. And they end up by the brook. Right. Gabe takes out his flower and shows it to her. And Carmel gets pale and faint and, and says, what is that flower? It smells like crap. It's making me feel weird. Uh, She throws it down on their side of the brook, and then it turns all black. 
And then a wolf appears on right. their side. On their side. Carm, she's freaked out, but Gabe recognizes the eyes. They are the same eyes that belong to the wolf woman. Mm-hmm. And he tells Carm that the wolf won't hurt them. Carmel, she's not buying it. So she just drags them away and back to the village. She tells everyone in the village and they're all excited because now it's time for a wolf hunt. The people in the village love killing. So they're very <laughs> excited. And it says this multiple times in the story that even though these are these devout religious people, they're into violence. By the way, so far in the story, I haven't heard anything about the werewolves actually hurting anybody. No. They're just over there having parades, chilling, (laughs) divvying up men and wolves in different combinations. Yeah. But they're not hurting anybody, so... Are they monsters? I'm not sure. Don't seem to be at this point. Seems like these pious people on this side who enjoy killing so much are the scarier folks. Yeah. That night, Gabriel goes to bed without saying his prayers, uh, but he can't sleep. He's got that blue flower clutched to his chest and it's in full bloom. Then outside, he hears the singing again. And the actual song is in the text. And it's in some kind of language I don't immediately recognize. I assume it's Breton or it could be werewolfies. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's a made up language. I tried to find it online and I found other people looking for it. I don't think it's a real language. I think it's made up. So he looks down and it's the blue-eyed blonde wolf lady. He goes down barefoot to her and she has this tenderness and passion and sadness about her. And she leads him down to the brook and asks him to help her over. She knows his name. She calls him Gabriel. So Mm -hmm. she's familiar with him on that level, even though I don't think he's ever told her. No. And it seems to him as though he's known her his whole life. So he does go over with her. And when he does, he's suddenly alone. And then he's not alone. There are now two wolves with him. And then he freaks out, grabs a log and smashes one of them in the head. Right. I thought this was a sensitive, nonviolent kid. I know. He just grabs a log and starts a smashing. Now the wolf he just nailed is gone and the wolf woman is there and she's got blood on her forehead and she looks at Gabe and she goes, who did this? He's super confused as I am. <laughs> right. You know, like what the hell is going on in the story? I had no idea and I was getting kind of annoyed with it at this point. It really had the rhythm and repetition of a child telling a story. And then he went over to the brook and then he came back and then he went over again and then he came back and then the flower was good and then the flower wasn't any good and then you saw them again and then he went over here just has that kind of lazy structure she whispers something to the other wolf and it leaps across the brook and goes into the village and then she says oh gabriel how could you strike me who would have loved you so long and so well then it seemed to him again as though he had known her his whole life but he felt dazed and said nothing but she gathered a dark green strangely shaped leaf and holding it to her forehead she said gabriel kiss the place all will be well again. So he kissed as she had bidden him and he felt the salt taste of blood in his mouth and then he knew no more. So he passes out. And I think this being Victorian era, this story, there's some sex versus religion stuff going on here. Mm -hmm. He's got the flower that blooms only when he holds it close to him but it shrivels when it's cast aside by his righteous family and friends. Mm-hmm. And did this wolf woman, you know, come here and kiss this strange leaf, you know, and that's what makes him pass out and makes him, yeah. you know, cross over. He passes out, like I said, and wakes mm-hmm. up in the woods surrounded by all the wolf things and owl things. They're all looking at him and they talk to each other sort of in a strange language, that language that he heard before. Right. And they are deliberating on maybe what to do with him, he thinks. I think they're saying, is this kid really wanting to cross over to the other side? Or is this just something he's experimenting with? Is right. it a phase he's going through? Like the author <laughs> right. in college, right? <laughs> yeah, is he yeah. really going to come over to this side of the brook or what? So just then he feels someone take his hand and it's the wolf woman. They all begin to chant and sing and he can't understand what it is that they're saying, but he hears his name, Gabriel, and he hears her name, Lilith. Yes. And I, we've talked about Lilith 
on the show before. Right? We have. It's a reference to the rabbinic tradition in which Lilith was the first wife of Adam before Eve was in the picture. She couldn't be dominated. She left Adam. Especially in the Victorian era, her name was definitely connected with sexual deviance. She was this almost demonic character. Because of that, of course, decadent writers really idealized Lilith. She showed up in a lot of their writing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this story was published in The Spirit Lamp, which was a journal out of Oxford that was connected with the aesthetic and decadent movements. So it was very right. much in the spirit of those, those things. Gabe wakes up in his room, but it's not his room. It looks like it, but it's slightly different. And he realizes the crucifix on the wall is missing and a few other of his religious items that he had. Mm-hmm. He tries to say his prayers, but he can't remember them. And then he tries to do the sign of the cross and he can't remember exactly how to do it either or his body won't let him or something weird is going on. And he realizes it's not dawn, it's sunset. I've been sleeping all day. And when he looks out the window, he doesn't see the spires of the church as he normally would. It's just the deep forest. Uh Uh-oh. So he runs downstairs and he sees that his mother isn't there, but Lilith is. Mm -hmm. He's not at home. It seems like it's home, but it's not. He's definitely on the other side. And this is where the absence of a strong male presence in Gabriel's life is really felt. Because he hasn't had anybody sit him down and say, listen, these werewolf women, they're exciting. But you go on one date, and before you know it, they've moved in. they changed everything. First, they take down the crucifix. Then there's a sure. spice rack where the neon Budweiser sign used to be. you got to be careful. And always look at the mother. Is she wolf all the time? Because that's how your girlfriend is going to turn out. It's this weird mirror image of his own home, almost dreamlike, where you have dreams where you're in your house, but everything's different. It's, it's oh, right. That's what's happening to him. Uh, she says that he slept all day. He asked for some coffee. It seems like he's again known her his whole life and that the village that he's from is a dream so he was like whoa i was having a dream within a dream because this what's going on right now is real yeah it's hard to figure out what's going on and and how time is passing too because it seems like then he's there for a long time but perhaps he's actually imagining the pa- this past they've had together where they'd walk through the forest and Lilith would tell him stories in her strange language I'm not sure if that's something he's remembering or they're doing it they do mention days passing well he feels himself growing weaker over the days that he's there as if his life is slowly being drained away very dreamlike it's hard to tell what's going on one day he was out walking in the woods with Lilith and he sees the blue flower and it triggers something in him and he asks Lilith what the blue flower is and she shudders but doesn't say anything and as they walk towards the brook he can feel the illusion slipping away and she grabs him and she begs him not to cross and he says why shouldn't i you're not telling me what i want to know then he looks at the brook and then he realizes that it is not flowing that the water in the brook is a standstill right he can't quite see the other side of the brook but he can hear singing and latin chanting It sounds like the Vespers for the Dead, like prayers at a funeral. He hears, woe unto me because I am unpurified. Lilith begs him to come away and Gabe asks her again, what is the blue flower? And she says, almost defeated, it's called the Luli Azuri. Whoa. Yeah, I I speak werewolf. Oh, okay. Two drops pressed upon the face of the sleeper and he will sleep. He looked at her and he reached down and picked up the blue flower. He allows himself at that point, even though he's got the flower, to be led away, presumably to their home. And I think he goes to sleep. That kind of time skips a little bit when you're on the side of the brook. Yeah, he awakens. He's in his bed at home. Lilith is there and the blue flower lies beside him. Now, I'm a bit confused about the time and how he got home and when that happened. And again, maybe it's just trying to capture this dreamlike quality, but... For me, it was just really confusing, and I had to read it over a few times. And, and it's still confusing. Well, but but yeah. the point is that he's still over on the other side. 
yeah. from bed in the early dawn while he's sleeping. He hears the abbot and his mother and Carmel praying for him. And when he's hearing that, he thinks, I, I, what am I doing? I have to get back home. Lilith is sleeping right there. He takes the flower and he presses it against her head. Which is supposed to knock her out. He runs back to the brook to leap over it, be back where he belongs. Mm-hmm. But as he's running, he realizes that he is on all fours and he's a wolf. And he gets to the brook and he sees his reflection and he has his head, but the body of a wolf. That's just wrong, dude. That's the dog with the human face from Invasion of the Body Snatchers all over again. Ah, it's just going to re-traumatize you again. It's horrific. I hate it so much. Now we get a bit of a cut to Gabe's mom. This is back to when he just disappeared. She thinks that he's gone off to join the wolf hunt and the group of wolf hunters think that he's hiding out because he's scared. Exactly. They say, oh, he's afraid. He wouldn't even kill a cat. And I hope that this is just boasting from the boys and they haven't really killed any cats because they might hear <laughs> the strange bagpipes in the night. <laughs> <laughs> know that the bagpiping cat man will have his revenge. <laughs> But again, he emphasizes how their one notion of excellence is slaughter. Even though they've been taught the gentle words of Christ all their lives, all they care about is the, the killing. Chad, I'm still stuck on this cat. Yeah. <laughs> bagpipe thing. So it has the, the lower half of its body is a man's body. It's a guy's body. Yeah. Top half cat. Black cat. Is he naked? Oh, he might have little pants on. It depends on the... <laughs> I probably... I don't know. Or a kilt. A kilt. Maybe it's a kilt because he's playing the bagpipes. You're just putting that on there because that's what you want. And mm-hmm. I understand that. But if it's a werewolf, you usually they're naked or like a dog or a wolf naked is right. fine because we're used to see... We don't see... We don't put clothes on our animals. It's a black mask, so probably there's no pants. It's, it's probably naked. Yeah. And where does the fur end? Like when it goes down, like, so if the top hat, is it just like well, a Well, it actually says that, it actually said that the the bottom half, although it's a man's bottom half, is matted down with like black fur. So it probably doesn't stop. It's just that uh, okay. men's okay, legs. Good. Yeah. Oh, now you're okay with it. All right. Yeah, that's fine. That's, that works for me. That works for me. The wolf hunt is almost a success. The men see a wolf, but it jumps over on the other side and then they just don't want to mess with it because they can't cross over to pursue it. Yeah, they won't cross. And I think that this is the theme here. Uh, It says in the text, no emotion is more inrooted and intense in the minds of common people than hatred and fear of anything strange. Mm-hmm. That's the reason they won't cross over. There's no power keeping them from crossing the brook. It's just they they hate and fear it because they don't understand it. Days pass with Gabe missing. Mm-hmm. People look for him. It says, I thought this was interesting. People searched and pretended to search. They even went to the lengths of dragging the ponds, which the boys thought very amusing, as it enabled them to kill a great number of water rats. And Carmel sat in a corner and cried all day long. She misses him. Everybody else is just goofing off. They all think he's dead, so they have a funeral for him, and that is what he heard. Things get a little confusing here again. After the funeral, the abbot has to go say some rites for somebody who's sick and dying. So he goes forth, his path lying right along the brook, to go to this place. Mm -hmm. And it seems like all the funeral goers are with him for some reason. Gabriel is still on the other side, having just turned into a wolf after escaping Lilith. So the narratives catch up here. He tries to get the villagers' attention to shout speak to them, but Mm -hmm. it only comes out as howls. That calls all the monsters. His cry aroused all the denizens of the forest, the wolves, the wolfmen, and the menwolves. He fled before them in agony of terror. Behind him, seated on the black ram with the human face, was the wolf keeper whose face was veiled in eternal shadow. So Lilith is there also as a wolf with the blue stain on her head, and she is very sad. The people all see this and stop but they know the creatures can't cross. Suddenly, the whole horrid chase came in sight. Gabriel sprang over the brook. The Abbe Felicien held the most blessed sacrament before him, and his shape was restored to him, and he fell down prostrate in adoration. But the Abbe Felicien still held aloft the sacred ciborium, and the people fell on their knees in the agony of fear. 
but the face of the priest seemed to shine with divine effulgence. Then the wolf-keeper held up in his hands the shape of something horrible and inconceivable, a monstrance to the sacrament of hell, and three times he raised it in mockery of the blessed rite of benediction. And on the third time streams of fire went forth from his fingers, and all the other side of the forest took fire, and great darkness was over all. All who were there and saw and heard it have kept the impress thereof for the rest of their lives, nor till in their death hour was the remembrance thereof absent from their minds. Shrieks, horrible beyond conception, were heard till nightfall. Then the rain rained. The other side is harmless now, charred ashes only, though none dares to cross but Gabriel alone. For once a year, for nine days, a strange madness comes over him. Huh? <laughs> So Gabriel is one of the Niners. He's a Niner, yeah. He can turn into a werewolf nine days out of the year. I don't know if he, it's the matter of can. I think he just does. Right. And I seem to remember hearing, I have to go back and listen to our werewolf history months, but I, I thought one of the folklore of werewolves, there, there were people that just turned into wolves like nine days a year. Yeah, it's just a period of time. Well, it kind of, it's interesting, like, I feel like what happened is that Gabriel crossed over the other side, which represents some kind of deviant behavior. Or mm-hmm. what would be considered deviant in this closed-minded society that he lives in. Yeah. He was kind of into it, but at the last minute he heard them, you know, praying for him and it touched on some deep shame that he had. So he escaped back. There was a little good versus evil battle there. And mm-hmm. the good people won because it's a Victorian era story. So religion had to win, even though the the bad wolf master tried to send the signal back. It was like the, the priest was doing the sign of the cross and he was flicking him off. And then he did the sign <laughs> of the cross and then he was flicking him off. And eventually they all just burst into fire and, and burnt down. But he got a taste for the werewolf stuff. Well, it's, he's he's forever changed. He breaks out and he's got to go a little wild. He has like his rumspringa and goes out and gets nasty. <laughs> and then he comes back to the more Victorian and proper religious society. Well, you can never be the same again. You can't go through something like that and just be unchanged. Right. And I think that is just a mark of who he is now. Like that is part of him. Yeah. And I'm sure that the author felt that way too about uh, his exploits that he had. Yeah. I mean, I think this whole thing seems to me like I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be deviant sexuality, but anything that's frowned upon by a society that thinks things need to be just so. This is what the decadents are pursuing, whether it's drug usage or sexuality. Or- to me, it's sexuality because the that the wolves are depicted as being very gentle. Mm-hmm. They don't do, like you said, they don't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. They never uh, hurt anybody. It's the people on the other side of the, or the violent ones. Yeah. So that there's some sort of, I want to say comfort. Like he said with her, he felt like he knew her his whole life, the wolf woman, and that there was something in him where he felt at home and he felt natural and he felt comfortable and he felt happy. Yeah, well, sure. We'll think about the fact that all of the monsters got together to figure out what even to do with him. Yeah. In contrast to when people thought he was missing, people only went out looking for him because they actually wanted to just do other things. Like they wanted to kill some rats or goof yeah. off. And they pretended to do it. So yeah. he was much more important over there than he was on this side where people didn't like him and they found him to be a weakling and too sensitive. Yeah. Maybe I'm trying to simplify it too much, but it does really feel like a, a sexuality. Yeah, no, I think it is. Discovery. I, I think it is. For yeah. Me, yeah. So again, like on, on rereading it and doing that analysis, I like it a little better, but it was kind of a tough to get through. It was tough to get through. The whole dreamlike quality of it was confusing and mm-hmm. it, it, it took a lot of rereading going back on, wait, what happened? And, you know, like even there was a few things that you got that I was like, ah, okay, whatever. <laughs> That is our second werewolf story of the month. Yes, and next up, one that people have asked about for quite a while, and we have talked about it on the show before. It's a story called Wolf's Head by Robert E. Howard. We're doing it. We are going to finally do it, Wolf's Head. 
I'm looking forward to reading it as well. I want to thank our reader, Greg Johnson, who is not only a great reader, he is an excellent actor and writer. That's right. And co-director because he did the short From Beyond the Beyond with me. And it's amazing. And he's amazing <laughs> in it. I just want to say this. From Beyond the Beyond. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sounded powerful. It, well, yeah. So I'm going to leave you all with that. Thanks for tuning in this week. And we've got more werewolf stories coming up. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey. And you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com.